You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You you feel this, this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank call. Prank call. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. This is Packernet After Dark, part of the Packernet Podcast. I don't know, man. Again, the autopilot thing. I appreciate everybody for all, uh, well, first of all, for being here, but also for everybody that called in. Really, really awesome that uh, this thing is really rolling. There was a period of time there. Where I thought that this was probably going to come to an end. I was like daily begging. I was taking multiple days off just to try to accumulate calls. And uh, now that the games are rolling, um, honestly, as sad as it is, I think we get more calls now that it's it's bad. But either way, I always appreciate all the calls. We do have uh, two new callers, so we're going to start with that. So let's get it started. Hey, Ron, this is Jonathan. I just had a quick question. Our scenario is safe. Uh, next year, let's say Aaron Jones doesn't come back, whatever reason. Do you think that A.J. Dillon would benefit from that by being the true, I believe, number one back and having to being able to tote the rock, let's say, 20, 25 times? Let me just think. Um, I think it's entirely possible. One of the things that I've been pondering, I guess. Um, I've been asking the question, why is it A.J. Dillon seems to have worse luck when running the ball than Aaron Jones? And I know Aaron Jones makes magic happen in the backfield oftentimes, and, and maybe that's part of it, but the amount of times he gets stuffed or hit behind the line of scrimmage seems a little crazy to me. He's also faced more stacked boxes than Aaron Jones has. So that leads me to believe a couple things. Maybe maybe both are true, I don't know. Number one, A.J. Dillon is used more situationally in disadvantageous situations, which would lead to less yards, et cetera, et cetera. And or, when Dillon is on the field, defenses generally, you know, through film study or whatever, understand that the percentages have now tipped toward a run as opposed to a pass. And so they tend to play the run a little bit more when Dillon is on the field. Either way, that would lead to situations, or what it would lead to is a wider discrepancy between the talent of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon than what actually exists. And so the point is, if it's just A.J. Dillon, and obviously you're going to have somebody else, but you can't really key in on him anymore, 
because we are now expanding his role to do more of what Aaron Jones did. I think he's going to see less stack boxes because you're not just going to sell out to play Dylan all the time. You're just doing that now because we're just assuming that's what you're doing because Dylan's on the field. Now, I, I haven't backed this up with any data or anything. It's just something I've been wondering about in terms of a possibility. Uh, as far as the 20 to 25 carries, I, I generally think that's going to help. Um, the physical way in which he plays, making a defense deal with that, it's, it's bound to tire out a defense. So I think to whatever marginal degree that's going to help, as well as everything else helping, I think overall you get a, a bigger picture of A.J. Dillon being a better back. That isn't to say he's going to be an elite back necessarily, but I think you'll see him being better than he is. And on top of that, it's just experience. You know, instead of getting four, five, six carries in a game, you're getting 20. So now you're getting 20 to 25 carries worth of experience, which is right now two, three, four, five games worth, depending on the game. Experience matters. And, and you're also the focal point of or a much bigger focal point of the offense in general, but the focal point of the running back room. So all the energy is going to go into you. So yeah, I, I think so. I, I, that isn't to say he's going to explode and become, you know, the greatest running back in history, but I do think it's a possibility. Um, I believe the first one here is a butt dial. We'll play that just to make sure. Then we'll go to the next one. Here we go. New caller, number two. Hey, Ryan. It's Corey, a long-time listener. Hey. Haven't quite gotten on the voicemail train until now. All good. I just wanted to key in on that one tweet I sent you regarding maybe what we do going forward. Instead of firing Matt, maybe firing the offensive and defensive coordinator. Seems like both sides of the ball need a new voice, um, whether it's the defensive side and Barry's ineptitude at fixing anything. Yeah. Or, uh, honestly, I, I don't know if we've looked at Senevich or even said his name enough this year when it comes to the offensive problems as well. Yeah. Whether it's the run blocking, which is a clear issue, or even just the the bland play calling and play design. I mean, all the pre-snap motion, the disguising one play within another play, it's like it's, it's all gone back to the 2018 offense. Now, like we've talked about, I don't know if that's an Aaron Rodgers thing or a Matt LaFleur issue or a divide over how they should, you know, maybe – run the offense, but every time we talk about PFF grades, it looks like Aaron Rodgers is better with play action or better when the motion is there. It's, it's, it's pretty miserable currently, obviously. So, I don't know. Let me know what you think. Talk to you soon. Google is hilarious and thought you just swore at me at the end there. I swear, this is the, this is the highlight of my day of reading what Google thinks you just said to me. Um, yeah, I, I, I think... Um, you know, when you get a promotion, you get a promotion to an entirely new job. Stenovich, I don't think there was any question, was a dominant, elite, amazing offensive line coach. But the decline on the offensive line and the decline of the offense makes you wonder if that was a terrible decision. Now, in hindsight, I, I think it makes sense insofar as Matt LaFleur understands this guy has a really firm grasp of the offense and would be a great person to bring in because he understands the offense better than just about anybody else on the squad, with the exception of, obviously, the guy that left to go to Denver. The problem is, though, it's just a different job, and knowing the offense is part of it. I don't know exactly what his duties are Monday through Sunday, but there has to be a... a period of acclimation for that. And, and and again, on top of it, 
not that he is not involved with the offensive line, but he's not able to be as involved at the offensive line as he was. And so I, I do think essentially we took a step back at offensive coordinator and at the offensive line coaching position. How much of all of our issues are wrapped up in that, I have no idea. And I would hate to fire um, Stenovich just because, again, he, he, I think he has a mind for it, and I think he's a fantastic offensive line coach. I don't know if a demotion back to O-line is, is possible, or maybe we just let him run it back and say, hey, it was his first year, let's, let's try that again. I don't know. Again, a lot of that's going to come down to how much, um, how much of this blame actually falls on his shoulders, because I really don't know. I mean, ultimately, Matt LaFleur is calling the plays, right? It's not Stenovich. So if the play calling is getting dry, it's hard to imagine that Stenovich is the, the loudest voice in the room between Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, and Adam Stenovich. He's the one pounding the table that, hey, we need to simplify this or whatever. I, I just, I can't imagine that. But yeah, I, I think, you know, when you promote somebody, you see if they're able to, it's, a, it's just, a, it's a different job. You know, it's like going from tackle to guard or guard to tackle. You might be a great guard. And if you are a great guard, it's probably a better indication that you're going to be a good tackle. But we have no idea if you're going to be a good tackle or not, because it's a different position. All right, let's go back up to the top. Hey, Ryan, this is Garrett. Hey. I uh, just got back from walking from my deer stand and uh, coming up empty today. Sorry to hear that. Uh, didn't see anything I liked, so passed on it. Kind of like Rogers passing on open guys again last night or missing passes. Uh, looking for that perfect 12-point buck just doesn't come around very often. It's not the worst analogy in the world. I mean, it, it doesn't work when Rogers is just keying in on a guy, but, um, you know, if you find a play where Rodgers is trying to find that home run instead of taking the check, what, what year was that? Was that 2019? There was one year where he was refusing to take checkdowns. I think it was 2019, and it was the most frustrating thing in the world. He's always wanting the deep shot and wouldn't just throw the check down. That was his issue that year. This is a different thing, but still, still a decent analogy. Anyways, all I can do to summarize how I feel this season's been is squandered opportunities. And it's just one thing after another. I feel like they're so close, and yet another one big play, and they're so far away again. The defense holds the Titans in the red zone, and then the offense ends up going three and out. Yep. Um, it just there's so many things to even even one. I I just I don't know. I'm depressed about this haul. It's just heartbreaking. They've gone from being the heart attack pack to just heartbreaking. So have a good one, Ryan. Yeah, and I, I'm honestly, I'm almost borderline annoyed with the whole complimentary football thing. Um, you don't need this to be complimentary. I mean, depending on what we're talking about, yeah, it makes sense. You need, like, when you're talking about a defensive play call, what you call on the back end and what you call on your defensive line, you need that to complement each other, right? If, if you're bringing pressure and playing off, that doesn't make sense. You're, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. But the, the whole complimentary conversation about the offense needs to complement the defense, no, you don't. Just play good. If you worry about yourself and do your job, the rest will take care of itself. I don't care about complimenting the others. I mean, it's, yeah, the, the defense, I'm not picking on you, Garrett. I'm just saying in general, like when Matt LaFleur talks about this as, as, as something that they need to work on, 
complimentary football. We got an interception. We needed to be able to capitalize on it. Dude, you had, what, five, six, seven, eight, nine opportunities? I don't know how many opportunities. you. I don't care which one you score on. I don't care if you score on the one with the interception, the one where you're pinned back on your five. It doesn't matter. Some of them are going to be easier than others, but it doesn't matter what your defense is doing, right? That that That's irrelevant. Just go do your job when it's your turn to do your job. Same with the defense, right? Well, they... They scored and then, or, you know, we, our offense scored and then we let them go down the field and, and, and get a score. We got we to gotta play complimentary football. No, dummy, you just got to do your job. Just do your job. Don't worry about it. Just put blinders on. You don't need to know what your, the other side of the field is doing. Go play football. Just go win. Care about this complimentary stuff. Again, in some, in some facets, fine, because it's necessary. Running and passing is complimentary. If you don't pose a passing threat, they stack the box, and then you can't run or pass. If you don't pose a running threat, then they play coverage, and then you can't pass or run. So that, in that sense, it's complimentary. But this, this offense, defense, special teams, we've got to complement each other. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't need to worry about that. Just play football better than what you're doing right now is what you need to do. Just exhausted hearing about complimentary. Hey, Ryan. Um, I have an idea to pass along to management All right. on how to maybe make back some of the money that they've been paying to some of these guys that have been, quote-unquote, paid to play or paid to coach that aren't really doing what they're paid to do. Uh-huh. Uh, number one, Savage. Um, I think we should put him in the Packers Pro Shop and... Uh, Tell them you need to sell $8 million worth of apparel before you can uh, go back on the field. Number two, Bisaccia. Yeah, we put him in the stands selling peanuts and uh, let him cuss out yes. people who are sitting down that are not cheering. Love it. Um, Coach Barry, I say we put him up on the uh, sledding hill and have him uh, sell inner tubes to kids that are going down the snow. All right. And, uh, Maybe we'll we probably won't even miss those guys at the next home game. So that's my solution. Is they're pretty much not there anyways. I'm not seeing any results out of these three guys. So let's put them in some other position. Maybe they'll, they'll uh, actually contribute to uh, Green Bay Packer Nation. I'm out. I think that sounds like a great plan. I'm all for it. Especially the Basaccia thing. I want to do like a uh, you know one of those things where you check in on them every once in a while, playing the game, and then there's a you know, after the first down, the camera just pans up and you see him just screaming in somebody's face. I like that. I think that's a fantastic idea. Hey, Ryan, this is Jake in the UP. Hey. I just have a few points I want to make about, uh, I don't know, the overall team and how they played against the Titans in general. Number one, what the heck? Playing 10 to 15 yards off a receiver when you're blitzing? I don't get that. No, I'm not the reincarnation of Buddy Ryan over here. I don't know much about defense, but I know enough that you probably want to stick on your receiver when you're blitzing, but, you know, hey, whatever. What do I know? That was that was one of the other things that really annoyed me to, on top of, like, everything. But um, it felt like we got back to that thing where when we finally got pressure, the ball came out immediately to a guy that was just standing there open. Like, why, why does that happen? I, there should not be quick passes allowed. When you're bringing pressure, you know, you know, another point is 
Spurs, they say they do get rid of Matt LaFleur. I would like maybe look at Eric Bieniemy. You know, he's had NFL experience playing in the NFL and, uh, you know, being an assistant coach in the NFL. And he's had to deal with big egos like Mahomes, you know, if uh, Rodgers does stay. Last thing I do want to say is... Maybe. Um, I don't think I would be a super big fan of it for a couple reasons. Number one... I don't think he's going to be a good locker room guy from what I'm hearing about Kansas City. I know Mahomes doesn't really get along with him. I've heard that guys in general don't really like the enemy very much. Um, I think he's got a criminal record. It's been a while since I looked at the enemy, but uh, that's also not great. I, I just I don't see leadership when we're talking about an, an issue with leadership. I don't see the enemy as being the solution. Um, Matt LaFleur, for whatever his faults are, he's a very humble guy. And I don't think the enemy is. I think he's sort of more of a prideful, shut your mouth, do your job, which a lot of people would like. I just don't think he would fly. Um, and also, he's been trying to get a head coaching job since forever. And I tend to think that's for a reason that he hasn't gotten one. And no, I don't think it's because of the color of his skin. I think there are issues with the person, which would explain why he, as opposed to other coaches, including black coaches who have gotten a job, why he has not been able to get a job, despite the track record. So um, I feel like if we hired Biennemi, it would be very similar to Bisaccia. It's the big name guy who had a, you know, was with the, you know, successful this, that, or the other. He's got a lot of experience, and it just, I, I don't think that it's going to be a good solution. Maybe, maybe, you know, you bring that Chiefs offense over here and, and see how it goes. But at the end of the day, that's the Andy Reid offense. Andy Reid has been able to make that thing go. He, you know, when you watch the Chiefs and they're doing all this creative stuff, it seems like every week they've got a new creative way of doing this, that, or the other. That ain't B enemy. That's Andy Reid. So I don't know. I I I don't see much um by way of of wanting to bring B enemy over here. I don't really have any candidates, but I know that he isn't one of them. What the heck are Packer fans in the crowd doing during these games? You need to cheer. Right. When be loud when the defense is on the field. Be quiet when the offense is on the field. If this is not a complicated thing, when you pay your ticket to attend a back game, you are a de facto part of the team. You have an obligation to the rest of us bombs sitting at home to help the team out, get them pumped up. And if I see another sign that says fans get loud, I will freak out. All right. That's it for my rant. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Ryan. Have a good one. Bye now. Yeah, I, I just, I don't, I mean, I guess if you live in Green Bay, it's just something to do, you know? It's like they, they got the free zoo in Madison, and once in a while my wife would just be like, let's just, just take the kids to the zoo. Like, oh, okay. Maybe that's what it is. When you live in Green Bay and you have the tickets, you just stroll on down because you got nothing better to do. And then it's like, I don't want to be told what to do. I'm just, I want to sit here and watch the game, and you can just shut up about it. But I just, I struggle to imagine why, if you want to just sit quietly and watch a Packer game, you would go to Lambeau Field to do that, as opposed to sitting in your living room. Um, I don't, I don't really get it. I don't even like going, but when I go, I cheer. Um, and why wouldn't you want? I mean, don't you get excited about it? I, I, I just, I don't understand the anatomy of a of a quiet fan uh, and one that wants to sit the whole time, wants everyone else to sit quietly and just watch. Like, do that in your living room. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand why that's a thing. But we keep saying it, and it doesn't seem to change all that much. I know there are, there are 
certain times and certain, sounds like there's certain sections. So a lot of people calling in like, I don't know what you're talking about. It was rocking. Um, you probably weren't in the section where somebody had made uh, some kind of a comment of between the 30s or something. Like the end zone is where the party's at. And then between the 30s, you've got your um, season ticket people that sit around and do nothing the whole game. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I'm not interested enough to figure it out. But that was that was what I had heard through the grapevine. Hey, Ryan, it's Craig. Hey. I had a question about um, coaches' salary. Mm-hmm. And given that the Packers make so much money, um, I, I just wonder why they wouldn't spend even more just to get the best in here. Uh, I don't believe there's any kind of cap on that. No. Nope. Um, and I think we made $77 million bucks or something last year. Uh, it's not like we're owned by someone who that kind of comes out of their pocket. Right. It feels like um, maybe, maybe, maybe you could get the best out there if you're willing to, to pay the best. But just a question, because um, I, I don't, I just didn't think there was any cap, and I'm asking that because I think we'll probably be shopping for some new coaches this uh, this offseason. At least I hope so. Thanks a lot. Take care. Yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to look at Mark Murphy's balance sheet. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're right. It's not like there's a CEO trying to maximize profits or anything like that. It's, it's. But the money's got to go somewhere. Are we just saving it to do more renovations? Is that what we're trying to do more so than paying coaches or, or what? I mean, I don't know. I mean, $77 million, let's be honest, is not. it's kind of surprisingly low. I would imagine it costs a massive amount of money just to keep that thing up and running year-round. You know, And you've got salaries and everything else that you're paying for, unless you're talking profit, because I'm looking at $77 million, like, did we even break even last year? I, don't, I can't imagine that we did. Yeah, that must be because I just looked it up. It says we made five hundred and forty-three million dollars in revenue. So I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not really entirely sure because we're not even talking about that much. I mean, you're talking the difference between like the the greatest coach and like just your average head coaching position is what what maximum five million dollars. I mean, I don't know. I'm just doing some random googling here by uh, some random website that's probably not true. But let's just use their numbers for fun. This says Sean McVay is paid 15 to $18 million per year by the LA Rams, and he's the highest paid coach. So let's say you bring in like a new Matt LaFleur, first time kind of guy, whatever. Now, I don't know how it works in terms of, you know, do you have to, is it kind of like quarterbacks where even if they're not that good, you got to give them the new highest or what? But, you know, Kyle Shanahan's getting 9.5, Pete Carroll's getting 11, Bill Belichick's getting 12.5. So let's say you're, you're an average run-of-the-mill nobody coach. I would assume, maybe I'm wrong, we could throw $10 million at you and you come here, right? But what if you wanted the best of the best? Uh, I don't even know who that would be, but we're talking the most established mind that's, that's out there. $15 million wouldn't do it? That's what the highest paid coach in football is getting right now. So again, it's, it's $5 million bucks. Unless you just think the coaches don't matter and what matters is getting all the good players and then the coaches kind of just, you know, I don't know. Just call plays and kind of organize schedules and do stupid stuff, but yeah, I I don't have an answer for that. In in my opinion, you always go get the best. You have you have the money. The Sledding Hill Part Two, the Sledding Hill renovations can wait. And how does five? I mean, even the full fifteen million is going to pay for itself if you're a Super Bowl caliber team, and then some. Super Bowl is the only thing that should matter financially. Go win a Super Bowl. It doesn't matter what it takes. Now, players have a salary cap, but other than that, dude, who cares? 
Now, that isn't to say that throwing money at it is going to fix everything, but if you genuinely believe that this is the guy, get that guy. I don't care what it takes. He's asking for 15, and other team's offering him 17. Okay, 18, get the job done? It would, in fact. Okay, that was easy. Welcome aboard, buddy. I don't care. I don't know. That's my perspective on it, unless we're really running a tight budget in Lambeau. I have no idea. Hey, Ryan. Uh, so... Uh... Everybody hey. made good comments. The only comment I was going to make is in the last two games, Christian Watson has got eight passes and five touchdowns. <laughs> let's just hope that streak continues and gets even better. Uh, well, let's let's not get crazy. Five touchdowns in, in two games is not a streak that I expect to continue. Uh, he will break the touchdown record in about uh, six weeks on that pace. So, But, yeah, hopefully the, the uh, good football playing continues. My, my one really main question is I'm surprised Tom Austin hasn't hit this. Unless he has, and I missed that episode. I cannot imagine what this question can be. Where you think Tom would have... He says the most random things. How could you possibly guess what's coming out of his mouth next? I can't. All right, let's find out. You always mention your half-Mexican lawyer. So what... You never mention the other half. You know? So it kind of missed. Is it, like, Canadian? Is it Russian? I think he's Irish. I think he's half-Irish. But that's not as fun to say. Half Irish, because we're all half something. I'm half Irish. Nobody cares. Half Mexican is funny because people get mad about it. Like, you can't say that. Like, I know. That's why I said it. It's funny. Is it uh, Colombian? You know? Is it Italian? Is it just, uh, you know, what? what's his other half? And could you... As far as I know, it's Irish, but it's probably uh, what all of us white people are, which is like Irish with a little bit of Italian and German and Russian and every other combination mixed together. Sometimes you, first, let's say it's Canadian, could you just call him your half-Canadian lawyer every once in a while? Oh, no. no. Just random thought. No. Uh, I know that all Packer Nation is, you know, standing on a cliff no. asking for reasons why to live, but I'm, I'm, I'm still in a good mood. Uh, so I just wondered, yeah, what is, what is, what is Blaine Blake? I forget his name. Uh, what, what's the other half? Uh, peace out. Yeah, I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because he never talks about it. <laughs> I I know about the Mexicanness because it comes up in conversation somewhat regularly. His other half, I don't know. I I don't he's maybe brought it up once or twice. I think Irish, but I might just be getting that because I know his wife is very Irish. And maybe I'm just making that up. I don't know. All right. Appreciate the question. Hey Ryan, Daniel from California. Do we get a snap? Uh, count update for David Bakhtiari the last two weeks. Okay. It seemed like he played either all the game or 90% of the snaps the last two weeks. Uh, it'd be good to get an update on that. Also, I'd like to talk about knee injuries. Wait. All right. Uh, you want to talk about knee injuries, you said? All right, continue. So, previous call, I said I tore my ACL. I kind of don't have much hope for Bakhtiari because I kind of know what it entails when you have a complicated ACL tear. I tore my ACL, I sprained uh, my MCL, and I also tore both meniscuses when I tore my ACL. And it just happens to be on a turf field, the kind of turf that they talk about with like the little like rubber particles in it. Those, those fields suck. I'm on board with getting rid of them. But problem is, is there's two types of repairs when you're talking cartilage, the, the lateral and the, um, the medial menisci. 
there's the kind of repair when you slice off the excess tear, and then uh, that kind of just gets rid of that little extra, and it's a quick recovery process. Or you got a repair where you sew it up just to basically compress it back down, and then it's a longer uh, recovery process. Problem is, depending on which route you go, um, if it you have a better chance of not having recurring swelling if you sew it up, but then if it fails, it could be, end up causing a lot of swell, swelling because it ends up doing this giant lockup, and it's just, you know, I think it adds like two, three months to the recovery process. When you slice it, though, it's like one out of four or one out of five chance of getting uh, reoccurring uh, arthritis. So, oh it, you know, I know you said he had more than just an ACL. I know the meniscus is usually involved on a, uh, a crazier uh, ACL tear. Another thing that happens is when you come out of surgery, the um, the tools they use, depending on how well it goes, is your body developing scar tissue because that's also a big factor. Like me, I have a very, very thick scar tissue, and I don't understand why there's no rhyme or reason for it, but every time I rub out my scar tissue, you got to break it down, rub it out. It just comes right back, and it's like a like an eighth of an inch thick, and it's just my knee just always swells up. I know he's got the best... Um, uh, the best uh, doctors and stuff and all the resources in the world because he's a professional athlete. We'll let that uh, continue. He got cut off there. But just to answer the first question, yes, he did play every snap at left tackle the last two weeks. It was three weeks ago was the last time he kind of split um, with somebody else. So encouraging. I'll call him again. Yeah, so his, uh, his knee, hopefully he just uh, doesn't uh, have the continued swelling because he's had two cleanups now, uh, David Bakhtiari. I don't really have much hope because the way your body responds is the way it responds. So, just I hope this poor, you know, this poor guy has a you know, few more years left in him, whether it's with the Packers or not. Because I just struggle. I like to hunt and I like to hike around and everything, and my knees suck. <laughs> but the ACL, they gotta route it through the interior of the knee and they have to strap it down on uh, the tibia area and then have it come up through the middle, right? And I have a fixture plate in mine. So it's a complicated surgery and there's a lot of stuff going on. And I didn't have no chump do my ACL repair. I had um, the San Jose Sharks hockey team. Their their team doctor uh, has a contract with my hospital and that guy. So I had a legit guy do my ACL. So it's not like some slouch did it, but it's just if your knee just doesn't respond, you're kind of screwed. So that's all I got to say. I know I went a little long. Go back up. Yeah, I appreciate the call. Definitely a lot of complicated stuff going on in there, and I'm I'm not entirely sure what's going on with his knee in particular, but I know it's uh, it's pretty bad and dealt with a lot of different things at once, and he's obviously so struggling. I also tore my ACL, but I couldn't tell you anything about it because I never really went to the doctor. I, I did once, uh, several years after I tore it. They did everything and confirmed that it was a uh, torn ACL, and then I just never 
got it fixed. So I'm assuming that's where you learn about ACL tears and what needs to be done and how to, you know, when you actually follow through with things. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it is encouraging though, that he's, he's been back the last couple of weeks. I know it's bugging him. Um, but I think the biggest concern that, uh, that I had anyways, was if he plays and it starts swelling, then I think he's probably just done. Now there might be some soreness or whatever. I don't really know, but it seems to me that his knee isn't swelling like it was last time and taking out a bunch of fluid, which is, which is really, really important. So I'm hoping he's just fine now. I don't really know. Hey, Ryan, this is Dan from Indy. Hey. So what does the uh, upcoming draft look like is in terms of offensive linemen? Because I, I really do feel like Gutekunst did a really good job in this draft. I mean, we're looking at first pick, Quay Walker. I just watched some film on him, and – he is looking better and better every game. Yeah, I think so. Devontae Wyatt still got to wait some time to figure out. Everyone says three years for defensive tackle, so okay. Christian Watson, I like what I've seen the past two games. Yes. Still looking really good. I mean, third, Sean Ryan's going to be third-round curse. Okay, whatever. We don't need to talk about but that. But then fourth round, we got Romeo, and he's looking really good. And then yep. we also – scored on a possible another late round lineman in Tom. So yep. like I I agree with you. I would also Kingsley, possibly Samori Ture, maybe uh Rashid Walker. Maybe. Love to see the Packers devote some early picks to really bolster the offensive line. Because yeah, if we can get a right guard, like a solid, solid right guard and a solid right tackle I, I I know we have Bach for maybe one more year, but, I mean, we'll see how that goes. But give me your thoughts on what you're seeing offensive lineman-wise in the upcoming draft. Um, because, yeah, if, if we're tearing down and rebuilding, we have some young core talent that we could still build around. Like, there's no reason to do a full-on rebuild. It's just replacing the motivators in the locker room. And uh, I know Rodgers has been getting a lot of flack, but he's never been that guy to motivate the team. And it, like Jordan Love seems like more business than him. I, I'm, I would like to see what what we can do at the end of the year with him, but I don't know. But yeah, offensive lineman thoughts go. So, uh, Jake and Mason would be good people to ask. Um, if we'd probably try to put together like a little. Uh, thing on Twitter so you can follow everybody and you can reach out and ask questions or whatever because uh, those guys are keeping track of these things better than I am. But I can do a cursory look right here. Um, no real elite prospects as of right now. These things do tend to change over time. But we don't have any first-round interior offensive linemen. Top 100, we've got a few. We're talking first three rounds. Osiris Torrance out of Florida. John Michael Schmitz out of Minnesota. Jarrett Patterson, Notre Dame, Andrew Voorhees, USC, Steve Avila, TCU, Luke Whipler out of Ohio State, Cedric Van Pran out of Georgia. Those are the uh, top three round guys. If you're talking top two rounds, it's really just two. And, and honestly, it's one because John Michael Schmitz is considered 67th overall. So very, very, very thin along the interior offensive line. Again, that can change. But right now, it's looking not great. Um, however, the Packers do like to take tackles that you could possibly slide inside. 
if that's what you wanted to do. Or we could just look at tackles. I mean, again, Elton Jenkins could certainly stay inside. Let's hope that he continues to improve. Elite pass blocking grade last week against a very stout uh, defensive front. So you got Bakhtiari, you got Elton Jenkins. I don't think Josh is going anywhere. I don't know that he necessarily needs to, but he certainly isn't premier. Which leaves Runyon and and a question mark at tackle because I do think that's what Yash is. But Peter Skaronsky, tackle out of Northwestern, is the top dog at number eight overall, followed by Paris Johnson out of Ohio State, Broderick Jones at Georgia, uh, Olumuyiwa Fashanu, Penn State. Those are the four current first-round prospects. Second-round prospects, Anton Harrison, uh, Oklahoma, Jalen Duncan, Maryland, Dewan Jones, Ohio State, and Cody Mouch out of North Dakota State, if you wanted to get Christian Watson a buddy. So it's definitely deeper at tackle, and I don't think that works to our disadvantage because Packers like tackles that you can kick inside. And usually there are a lot of those guys. They get labeled as tackles because that's what they play in college, but you'll find out as, as the draft process continues that there are certain guys that are never expected to be tackles in the NFL. They're always going to be guards just by virtue of their size and the way they play and everything else. For example, if you look at like Broderick Jones, six foot four, three ten out of Georgia, I just have a hunch. Six foot four is not very big for a tackle. I'm thinking this is the kind of guy that probably possibly gets kicked inside. And I honestly thought that I had taken a break already and I guess I didn't forget to. So we'll have to take a break here and then we only have three calls on the other side. So it'll be a short second portion, but there you have it. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Pack Daddy, what up? Hey, what uh, up? Couple thoughts. Um, I heard, I saw a couple of reports on Twitter that Roger's thumb is actually broken. It's the word. And I was just thinking, if that was true, that is broken this whole time. What a terrible decision to not bench him. You know, if he needed surgery or just, you know, a splint on it or whatever, give it a few weeks to get healed up. You know, he didn't look good anyways. Maybe he would have won the same amount of games. Maybe Love would have won us one or two more. And he could have come back healthy for the last, you know, eight games of the year. Maybe he would have actually made a run. So, I don't know. Your thoughts on that? Also, I think it's fantastic that the media still kills the Packers for not having enough wide receiver help. And if you look at our team, I know Dobbs is hurt right now. Two of the brightest spots moving forward are Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. Yeah. And, I mean, like if we go into next year and rebuild, I think we got a pretty good one, too, with some young guys. And, you know, Tourie's shown some glimpses, too, so maybe we got something there. But, I don't know. Actually, our receiving core is one of the bright spots for, you know, a developing team. Yeah, they're they're never going to give that up. the The only thing that would is if you uh, listen to tomorrow's podcast, I talk about possibly Devonte coming back and the and the theory of Devonte and and uh, whoops a daisy, just flailing my hands around like an idiot. Um, if if Devonte came back to a team that would that had uh, Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, then maybe maybe they would stop, but I doubt it. I, I really don't think that they would. Despite the fact that we've had Devontae this entire time, the best wide receiver in football, they're complaining that Rodgers doesn't have weapons. They've been doing that since forever. The most insane thing on planet Earth. And then they're like, well, you got to draft somebody. Okay, so we drafted three wide receivers. Yeah, well, you're an idiot for relying on rookies. Like, oh, come on. Jeez. And I, I promise you, if, if Devontae did, let's just say, for example, I, we don't need to get into the details of that. It's mostly just for fun. But let's just say he came back and the offense didn't work. They would say, Rodgers still doesn't have anybody because, you know, yeah, he's got Devontae, but, you know, the young guys still don't know what they're doing out there. And it's it's absolutely criminal what Brian Gutekunst has done for not going out and just paying to have the top three wide receivers. Because the Packers apparently need the top three wide receivers in football to be on this roster. Otherwise, Gutekunst is an idiot. No idea where all, all this stuff comes from. Hey, Ryan. This one's going to be super quick. All right. Um, I just wondered if you had any information on exactly what Eric Stokes' injury was. Um, he said ankle and knee, I believe, but I don't know. Did he tear stuff? Did he break something? I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, looking forward to next year. And I know he struggled some, but he's definitely one of our young guys that we're hoping can continue to improve and, uh, hoping it's not like another Bakhtiari type injury. So. Love to hear if you know more about that injury. I don't know, and I just briefly looked it up while uh, while you were talking, and there's just really nothing other than ankle and knee. Um, as far as I know, nothing's really been reported. Obviously, we learned that it was pretty significant when um, when he went down for the year. 
You know what else I forgot? I apologize. Well, it's the same guy. It's still Seth that uh, <laughs> Seth on both of these last two calls. So I, I forgot I had a point on the Rodgers thing too. Thank you for reminding me with the injury. But no, I, I don't have any information. And uh, yeah, I do hope that it's not anything that requires like reconstruction or whatever. I, I don't know. This could be a long road back for him. Um, we'll see. We'll see if we get some more information on that. As far as the Rodgers thumb thing, though, I, I just briefly looked at it and just Google says six to eight weeks to recover from a broken thumb injury if they decided to shut it down and just let it heal because there's really nothing you can do other than just kind of, like you said, put a splint on it and hope it gets better on its own. But you're talking about shutting them down for two months. At this point, if they decide to do that, they're shutting them down for the year. It even goes on to say it may be three to four months before full strength returns to your hand. Once it's healed, uh, use, uh, use your fingers or thumb as normal. Now, I do see other places that say shorter time spans, three to four weeks. Even still, I feel like they didn't shut him down because he was willing to play. And they, I think they just knew that if Rodgers got shut down, it was kind of to end the season. Because even if you'd have done it when he first broke his thumb, you're conceding several games to the point of kind of just conceding the season and hoping that maybe Rodgers can come back and salvage what's left. No offense to Jordan Love, but I mean, the, the team is bad enough. If you shut him down, you're kind of just giving up. And since they weren't giving up, they didn't want to shut him down. And now we're to the point where it's late enough into the season where if we shut him down, it's officially shutting down the season and him with it. And um, I guess to an extent, I can understand saying you don't want to just forfeit the season when there's still hope. At this point, I don't necessarily know other than to say, you know, if Rodgers is willing to fight through it, I, again, you, you have to be able to tell your coach what's going to ha- or your, your players what's going to happen. I, I just feel like he holds so much sway that it's going to be a problem if, if, he, if somebody comes up to him and says, yeah, I know you said you're okay, but we know that you're not and we're going to shut you down. Because Rodgers is going to look at that and say, you're full of it. You're willing to let me play through the injury for this long. Now you're going to shut me down to see if love's good enough to replace me? He's not going to handle that very well. He's not an idiot. So I don't know. Anyways, final call of the night. Uh, what's going on, Daniel? Hey, Ryan. This is Daniel from Milwaukee. Hey. Um, you know, I was just thinking about what Aaron Jones said. Uh, well, he basically said that the Packers from now on will be treating um, the season like it's the playoffs. I love Aaron Jones. Uh, don't get me wrong, but it's so annoying that they have that mindset now. Like, why did it take... Yeah. You know, being four and seven for you guys to actually wake up and smell the coffee that, oh, wait, we should actually, you know, give it an effort to play as if every game is our last game. I mean, it, it's that that's so frustrating to me, but I don't know. I, I just don't get it. You know, anyways, have a good day, right? All right. Bye bye. Yeah. And the, and the annoying thing about it is it's it's just words. That is to say, you're right, that it's annoying that, that it took this long for them to realize, oh, we should probably take this seriously. But also, I don't even think they're going to. I would be stunned if they, they played like it was the Super Bowl, because it basically is. It's, it's elimination time if you lose to the Eagles. I don't think they're going to. You think they're going to dig deep and play like their, their lives are on the line? Like if they lose, their families are going to be lost forever? No. I think we're going to see the same half-hearted, mopey, pouting Packers 
they come out and give it the old college try and they go, yeah, uh, well, we tried. I could be wrong. And, and even if I am, again, then we're just right back to your original point. That is, I cannot believe it took you this long. That, that was what I said about Dallas. I can't believe you now, especially seeing how good you are, wait this long to, to break, break it out. But then one week later against Tennessee, still at home, Green Bay Packer weather, right? Everything was in your favor. Everything's ready to go. Tennessee had a rough week the week before. Everything's right there for the taking, and you just fall back into what it was before because apparently you didn't care enough. And so, yeah, I'm I'm annoyed that they're saying stuff like that, like, oh, yeah, we, we got to start taking this seriously. And um, I'm even more annoyed by the fact that they're just saying that because it's the right answer to a question that they're being asked in the moment. And really, they, they don't believe it. They're not going to do it. So that would be uh, another level of frustration. But anyways, I appreciate all the calls. And uh, please, we're, we're all caught up. Usually, we're not caught up at this point. There may not be a Packernet after dark if we don't get some calls in. So we got games tomorrow. Feel free to call in. Let me know what you think about the Bears, the Vikings, the Lions, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we'll keep this train a-rolling. Otherwise, I guess I get a day off tomorrow. Up to you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. 